to the Employer Blueprint Podcast, where we help leaders build great teams for great companies with your host, entrepreneur and leadership coach, Kyle Gorman. What type of leader are you? You know, we all have different skills, uh, even within leadership. There are different things that some of us are just um, better at, that we just excel at in a different way than other leaders. And one of those areas oftentimes comes down to the type of business that we are best at managing or leading. Um, and what I mean by this is, you know, there's different tiers of business. And I like to think of it as, you know, tier one, tier two, tier three. Tier one being uh, a startup up to uh, about a million and a half to sometimes up to $3 million. And then tier two is generally going to be your two million up to um, uh, 40, 50 million even. And then tier three are going to be your, your much larger corporations well beyond that. And for many of us out there that are that are in uh, small business, it's important for us to understand where we fit in as a leader in an organization. Generally, most of us are going to fit in as a tier one or tier two. And um, the reason it's important to understand whether you're really a tier one leader or a tier two leader has nothing to do, has absolutely nothing to do with how good you are as a leader. What it has to do with really is more of how does your mindset work? How do, how do you think about things in the way that we scale a business or the way that we grow a business, the way that we operate in processes? Because the way a tier one business leader needs to operate is really going to be very focused on the team that they have around them. It's going to be very focused on uh, driven, you know, very focused on driving towards sales goals and, and driving towards uh, new opportunities and chasing those. Whereas your tier two leader uh, is going to be much more focused on how we uh, build efficiencies, how we build process flows, how we hold people accountable to getting things done. And so tier one is generally a little more relational. Tier two is a little more process oriented. Neither is right or wrong, but it is very important to understand um, who you are. And uh, the other thing that's a bit unique is, is oftentimes your tier one leader um, are going to be, they're going to be better at kind of wearing multiple hats. Whereas your tier two business leader uh, is going to be much more focused in a very specific segment of the organization. And, and again, I want to reiterate, there is no right or wrong, but there are many of us that are great leaders, but we may not be leading in the right place. We may not be in the right type of business um, because we may be a, uh, the leader that someone that would be better at a tier two business, but we're operating in a tier one business. We're still in startup mode. Or we may be someone that is in startup mode and our business has outgrown that. And yet we are still stuck as that that leader of a tier one business that's, that's under $2 million and... Um, uh, kind of hits this plateau and you're not able to grow and you're wondering why and you're wondering why. And um, I'm going to give you a little newsflash that you may not be ready for, but generally you're the reason why. And sometimes it's a hard pill to swallow. It's a hard thing to understand. Today's guest uh, has had experience in operating these types of businesses and has had experience leading these businesses and even helping invest in others that are looking to grow and scale their business. And he's going to provide some great insights as to what it takes to really scale, what we've got to do and how to know, um, you know, those, those moments that you kind of understand it's time to move on from the organization that was a tier one. And as it moves up into that 2 million plus of what I would call a tier two type organization. Um, but 
The reason I bring this up is because it's important for you to understand what makes you tick. What what type of leader are you? And that doesn't mean that someone that is a tier one or tier two can't manage in the other direction. Uh, but what it does mean is if you're a, a leader of a tier one business, but you really operate better in that operational, that, that tier two type mindset, um, if you've already started your business, then you really need to think about getting someone around you that is more of that bootstrap mindset to help get you to the point that you can then lead effectively and vice versa. If you are, um, if you are in that tier two space, but you're more of a tier one leader, then it's probably time for you to let someone come in and take over that can really help benefit the organization because your ego is getting in the way of your organization excelling forward. So think about the type of leader that you are. Make sure you really understand what are your skill sets and how do you lead the business? Again, no right or wrong, but you need to know who you are. Self-awareness is critical. Be sure you subscribe to the show. Uh, You're going to love today's episode. We really unpack a ton of information that is really good. And if you have any questions about it, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. I'd love to talk to you more uh, about how you can grow and scale your business if uh, if that's the space that your business is in right now. Thanks so much. Well, thank you so much for joining us this week on the Employer Blueprint podcast. Uh, I want to thank our guest, Bill, uh, and make sure that I pronounce this right, Balderaz. That's right. Great. There we go. Good deal. Thank you. Uh, So Bill comes with a tremendous amount of experience. I'm looking forward to being able to share that with you all today. So Bill, thank you so much. And um, as we dive in here, why don't you walk us through uh, kind of what your history and experience has looked like so far? Sure. Great. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on today. Really appreciate it and uh, love your show. Uh, so yeah, I've, um, I've been in Columbus about uh, 20 some odd years here. Uh, moved here pretty much right out of school. I graduated in I the, the distinct pleasure of graduating in 1997 with a journalism degree, yeah. uh, which was about the time people started figuring out this thing called HTML and then websites at uh, uh, not exactly the time that the industry was, was booming in a sense, obviously uh, uh, taking a bit of a nosedive. So here I was yeah. with a a newly minted journalism degree, but I found uh, you know, websites at the time were really looking for content. Even then, if people were saying content was king. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I kind of stumbled into I came to Columbus. I was interviewing three places. One was a magazine. One was a, uh, a fast food chain. And one was an internet company. And I, I chose the internet company. I remember you know, my mom and my professors and really smart people saying like, ah, magazines and fast food are forever, but you know, the internet, and this was in the age of dial-up. Only about 50% of Americans even had dial-up. So this yeah. was pretty early stage, um, but I caught the bug. So I, I remember just feeling so energetic. I, feel like I, I felt like I found my thing. I'd come home. I'd, I'd be so excited to talk about what I did that day. Um, and basically, I was you know, initially writing for websites. That turned into this thing called SEO. And this was pre-Google. So Google didn't launch for another year. So this was like Excite and AltaVista and Dogpile and, wow. and all these things. So I was... Uh, uh, GeoCities, you know, building uh, GeoCities and, and uh, all these online communities at the time. Um, and, you know, from there, the, the abbreviated story, I worked for four different startups. Um, all four of them had an exit of some kind. Some were mm-hmm. great, some were okay. Um, but got the also the bug of how to raise money or got to watch my bosses and, and mm-hmm. my leadership raise money. Um, one in particular was raising, you know, tens of millions of uh, venture funding from West Coast money. And so it was pretty exciting to, yeah. to see what could happen in technology. 
Um, and I went to my boss and I said, you know, I love what I'm doing here. I was doing digital marketing for her and her company and, and said, but I want to do more of it. And I want you to be a, a client, uh, but I'd love to you know, start my own business. And she said, great, you can sit in that same chair you're in now and I'll, I'll be your first client. Um, and I went back to my other last, my last three employers, they all uh, agreed. And uh, that company was called Webbed Marketing. Uh, that was 2006. And it's, it's interesting now if I go to a coffee shop and I say, who here is a digital marketing consultant? Everybody would raise their hands. Uh, in 2006, so that wasn't the case. You know, social, there, again, early days of social media, there, uh, you know, Facebook was still for colleges. Uh, Twitter, YouTube were either not started yet or early days. You know, Instagram and Snapchat were, gener- you know, their founders, I think, were in middle school at the time. You know, we, we survived the recession of 08. In fact, it, I remember sitting with a very large com- consumer brand and uh, they just had their, their TV budget slashed. 2008, you know, they, they let their big agency go. And, you know, they said, we, we, our TV budget is so small. They said, we don't even know if you could do anything with it in digital. And we said, how much? And they said, it's $2 million. And again, in, in 2008, you couldn't spend that much money online. There was... Right. There was no, there wasn't enough ads to buy. Had, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, so the recession actually bolstered us. So, oh wait, we had just a banner year because uh, companies took funding out of broadcast and outdoor media, put into digital. Um, sold that company in 2011 to a, a digital marketing agency called Fathom out of Cleveland. Um, uh, got along great with them during the process, and and kind of as a spinoff out of that, started a company called Fathom Healthcare with Fathom. So I was. Uh, became president of Fathom Healthcare. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, you know, a lot of stuff was going on in healthcare. It was the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, patient satisfaction, readmissions, uh, the beginning of some of the opioid issues. And so people were getting away from healthcare. Marketers didn't want to touch healthcare. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to touch the regulations. They didn't want to touch HIPAA. And we said, oh my gosh, we're going to run to this. Um, so if, if you name the biggest, most prestigious hospital systems in the country, again, we're, we're 20 people and we're winning um, you know, these, these Stanford's and Duke's and Cleveland clinics in there. And so we're having this great success again, because, you know, we're willing to get out there and serve this market. Yeah. Um, I did that for about three years. And then the next shift I saw it, I'm always, you know, thinking ahead, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, creative marketing is great and copywriting and, and design, but there's really something to data, not just Google analytics, but what if you had true data, true machine learning? What if what it takes 10 people to do for marketing now, if you had enough data behind it, one person could do and do it more effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we started Futurity. And the name is kind of the idea of future and certainty, mashing that up and saying, mm-hmm. if we use data, if we use automation, if, if we're really smart, um, we can create a company that can do uh, marketing communications even better than anyone because we're going to rely on data, machine learning, propensity modeling. Yeah. Uh, and got really serious about that about two years ago. And it's been kind of the same trajectory, just uh, lots of rapid growth, winning great clients, building a, a fabulous team. Mm-hmm. That's, that's incredible. And, um, uh, you know, a lot of lessons there just in, in understanding when to ride that wave and um, tapping into untapped markets and maybe willing to take those risks that others aren't willing to take. Um, but so as you look at that, I mean, obviously, you don't build those businesses without the help of, of some incredible people around. So as you look back and think about what was involved in um, uh, you know, even even as you talk about, um, you know, just 20 people in that business and, and in 20 people being able to get these huge accounts, what is it about those 20 people or what was it about being able to get those 20 people on the same page and on board together sure. um, to help um, create that brand that attracted these large companies to want to come work with? 
Right. Great. Thank you. I appreciate that. So one thing I say here is that I'm 20 years older and 10 IQ points lower than everybody else. <laughs> so we have a super smart, bright team, but brains alone doesn't do it. Yeah. Um, and I would say this with any organization I've been a part of, you know, those first employees are so key. Those first team members, they can, yeah. as an investor, I see great ideas get sunk because the initial team, it's the wrong team on a great idea. Yeah. Uh, so we really enforce core values. You know, we make it very clear. Um, I've been part of organizations where it's one core value and everybody, that is the rule you never break. You hire on that, you recruit on that, you fire on that, you promote on that. Yeah. If, if you get a hot shot, you know, highly uh, targeted professional who wants to work with you and all their credentials are there, but they're just not on board with that core value, then you got to have the guts to say no. And every time I've said yes, it ended up going badly. So I've, I've learned that lesson. Um, here we have them on the wall. So one of our whole walls it's the core values are there. So it's not just buried in a handbook. Uh, when we interview people, we walk them through the wall and we explain them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I like to say, like, establishing a good core value, there's, there's a little bit of an art to it. And you can, if I say, like, don't steal is a core value, mm-hmm. that's, that's bad because almost everyone would say you shouldn't steal. You can't really say, like, no, I want to steal. I want people that should steal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, one of our core values um, is seeking perpetual growth. And, you know, we want people that are always training, always learning, listening to podcasts, reading. Yeah. But you could go somewhere and a podcast or a, a, a core value could be something like you're enough just as you are, you know, and that's, that's an okay core value too. That's not a good person for us. Someone that, that walks in and says, I've accomplished a lot and I'm at the point in my career where I, I want to put my experience to work. I'm not going to love that person much as someone comes in and says, I'm so hungry to learn more. I may be 20 or 40 or 60, but I'm dying to learn more. Right. Both of them are good people. Yeah. This one is the core value that aligns. So I, I yeah. think defining yeah. that, reinforcing it. Yeah, that's a really, really good point, Bill. And, um, you know, and you mentioned the, the idea of, you know, don't steal. Those are, there are certain things out there, and this is where core values can get confusing, I think, for companies, is there are certain things that are just um, uh, necessary for entry. You know, they're just kind of cost of doing business, that, that, that there are certain things that we know that all of our competitors do that everyone does. We know that we don't want people that, um, you know, bad mouth our clients. Well, neither does anybody else. And so there's certain things that, um, that are just sort of that cost of entry, but those core values are those unique things that make your business tick. It makes it, it's really what sort of defines the DNA of your organization. And, um, um, and the, the first thing in that is defining those, just as you said, because there are a lot of companies out there that haven't even defined the core values. They don't even know what those are. But the beautiful thing about core values are they are already there. You just have to define yeah. them. Your business already exists around these core values. Um, you just have to define those. And so let me ask you this, because I, I love the fact that even through the hiring and, and recruiting process, you kind of walk people through those core values. And I think that's a tremendous idea. So what happens um, how do you gauge their interest or maybe their, um, um, whether they are aligned with that or not through that recruiting process? Sure. One, we work with a really, really bright, uh, smart, uh, recruiting expert here. Her name is Jen Wells. She actually is in the same building. So, so she's really coached us on that. I think it's interesting. You, you would never think like I can go speak French without ever taking a French lesson or that I can go play guitar without taking guitar lesson, but everybody thinks they can hire well. <laughs> and it's uh, hiring is just as much of an artist programmer speaking French or playing guitar, but we inherently think like, Oh, I, I have a good judge of character. I can hire well. Hiring is super hard. So I, yeah, I would say seeking advice of an expert, but we'll walk through that, you know, that wall of core values. And I, you know, I, we've been through it enough. I look for those triggers and I look for things that 
uh, you know, people will tip their hand on something that it, it's not about trying to disqualify them. It's they're going to be miserable too. If they're here, um, you know, one of our core values is that the world doesn't happen to us, that we essentially create our own destiny. Mm-hmm. And if I talk to someone who has a very fatalistic approach to life, mm-hmm. that's a, that doesn't mean they're a bad person. But if they say, say things like, well, you know, I, we tried really hard to win this pitch, but, uh, you know, our competitor was the vice president's cousin and we weren't on the purchasing schedule and they had this certification. Mm-hmm. And so it just wasn't meant to be. Like, I know what it, right. that person might be a great salesperson. But that fatalistic approach, that same person said, you know, the, the deal went to uh, uh, the, the VP's cousin, but I should because I didn't have a deep enough relationship with the VP. Right. And we didn't have these certifications because I wasn't thinking ahead 12 months to be working on the certifications. Right. So if they own that and they, then they think they can control it, that's almost like a delusional sense of control. So, so by getting people to tell stories... If I asked you, I said, you know, Kyle, do you think you can impact the world? You're going to say yes. <laughs> but if I say, tell a story about a time you lost a big deal and how you approach that. Right. And then you tell the story. And the last thing you say is, so we did our best, but we just couldn't get it. Mm-hmm. That means you're probably not a good fit of, so there's so many things we could have done better to get that deal. I'm like Kyle's, you know, Kyle aligns with that core value. Right. Right. Well, that's really good. I I like that. And I think, um, I mean, one thing, music to my ears and understanding that not everybody's good at hiring. And I preach that constantly, (laughs) um, just understanding, you know, you, you're, you start a business because you're really good in a particular skill or or in an industry. Um, you build your business around that, but, um, but the art and matching the art and science of, of hiring and retention and recruiting, that's a whole separate, uh, that's a whole separate world that for some reason people know, I can't do the accounting. I'm going to outsource that, but I, you know, I can, I can hire great people. Um, so I'm, I love hearing that. But the other thing is, um, I like what you all do there with those core values. And I, and I want to point out to the audience something, because I think one thing that sometimes gets confused in the core values is, well, this is what we believe. This is what we do, but we would be, um, uh, we may miss out on great talent if we force them into this, into this box that we live in, or, um, uh, are we potentially, um, um, are we potentially uh, kind of ruling someone out too early or, or um, you know, maybe have a lawsuit on our hands because they sure. don't adhere to something. But when you show them the core values up front and you, you're not saying you have to do this, you have to do that. You know, you're not asking in an interview process, do you do these things? Because if you want this, you're not good for us. Right. What you're saying is um, here are our core values. I want to give these to you. I want to put them in front of you. What do you think about this? How comfortable yes. are you with that? You're not being prejudiced against them. You're saying, I, I need, just as you, you said, Bill, like, I want you to be comfortable here too. Right. I want this to be a place that, that you feel like you are part of this family. You're part of this team. And, um, and you're not going to do that if you don't believe in the same things that we believe in, if you don't ad- adhere to kind of the way that we do things. And so you are actually doing the candidate such an amazing benefit by putting those values in front of them to begin with and saying, this is who we are. Now, I want to ask you some questions about how you fit into that. And if you think this is really who you are or not, because although a lot of people will say a lot of things just to get a job three months down the road, they may be miserable because they just don't fit into, you know, to your point about perpetually getting better. And then you're, you're providing opportunities for conferences and online training and, 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 uh, cross training within the organization. And they're saying, Whoa, Whoa, I'm, I'm good. I'm good where I am. They're never going to be pleased. So I love that, that you do that. And I think that's so important for people to hear. We don't talk a lot about that on the core value side, but such a, um, an impactful piece of who we are as a business and making sure that we are able to continue that moving forward. 
Right. Yeah. The, the say anything to get the job. I just always advise people against that because you're, yeah. you're setting yourself up to be uncomfortable. You're, you're doing the employer disservice. Yeah. You're doing yourself a greater disservice. You go home every night with a job you're not qualified for, you don't like, so don't, you know, so I always like encourage that, that honesty. If, if you can't be honest in that process, then that's a terrible foot to start a relationship on. Yeah. So making sure that, that you're the, and, and you know, something you mentioned uh, right before then, you know, some, I, I've heard like arguments against core values saying, you know, by really being strict with core values, you're saying you don't want any diversity of thought that you're not, mm. that you think your culture is perfect and a person can't have a positive impact. And my thought is as human beings, we're made up of, of tens of thousands of beliefs, right? We've got what I believe on everything from large political issues to what kind of shoes I want to wear right. to how I think client services should be done. To, and I'm just saying here are four that we all have to agree on. The right. other 900, 9,996, let's, yeah. let's agree. Let's argue on these. We got to agree on these four. But other than that, we want all the diversity, all the good discussion, all the good debate on everything else. Right, right. Well, and, and I agree with you on that because I think that what the, what the core values do is it just shows this is sort of the underlying DNA of who we are. Yeah. And, um, and those the deci- decisions we make are going to be based on those things. Right. The, the vision that we have is going to be based on those things. The direction that we go are going to be based on those things. And so, um, it, yeah, you're right. It's, it has nothing to do with a lack of diversity. It's just saying, this is the way that we think and operate. And if you don't fit into that same style of thinking, it's going to be uncomfortable for you. And again, going back to that example of, we want you to learn. We want you to constantly be learning new ways, new styles, new techniques. Um, we want to be on the cutting edge. If you're stuck in things that were 10 years ago, you're never going to be comfortable in this environment. And that has nothing to do with diversity. It has to do with just what makes you tick. And are you going to fit in well with the way that we want to do things? And um, yeah, I I do think that core values are an incredibly important part of that that hiring process. And so as you are... Um, as you are scaling the business, are there some things that you have found, uh, you know, once you've got this team in place, are there some things that you have found that um, have made a difference and the ones that have successfully scaled and maybe the ones that have plateaued or not done as well, the sort of some key elements that you see, like in order for us to scale effectively, we need to make sure that we've got these things in place or that we are operating in this way. Sure. Yes, absolutely. And, and th- I'm sure you've had smart guests and smart people that will disagree with me on this. But, you know, one thing I find is when you're first starting out, especially if you're a kitchen table business, no investors, no, mm-hmm. no backing, you're bootstrapping. In that case, you know, you're not thinking about scaling. You're just, you're opportunistic. I got to close deals. I'm going to commit stuff. I'm going to work all night. And in that case, if you start out with someone that's really good at scaling, usually that's not a good founder. Someone that's really great at at high efficiency, high processes, your founder is usually more of the, the cowboy a little bit type that can take a business from zero to say $2 million. That's, right. that's I think, a pretty natural breaking point. And that's when we see investors come on. A lot of times they'll take the founder at $2 million and say, hey, you can still be chairman, you can be chief creative officer, but we're going to bring in a CEO that's really good at scaling. Right. I think in general, there's, there's two skill sets. So that's that's the first thing. I'm, I'm much more of the, the zero to $2 million guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I do is I surround myself. You know, the first hire that we made here was a guy that's really, really good at processes and efficiency and documentation. And so he and I have great discussions. We respect each other. We butt heads. We'll disagree a lot, but it's, you know, the, the focus is we're at the point now of futurity where, you know, we have uh, processes now. We have things that are repeatable. We have clearly defined job roles. In fact, literally today, you know, that he's working on things like, you know, we've got 11 people here right now. Everybody does a little bit of everything. This person's really, really good at, 
developing algorithms. This person's great at visualization. It's starting to say, if, if we can scale, the way we're going to scale is by having this person who can do the algorithms twice as fast as this person. They can both do them, but we're never going to scale until we can uh, really define job roles, until we can really yeah. define processes. And we have a, a poster on the walls from the, uh, one of my favorite shows from the 80s, the A-Team. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, you see this in the A-Team, you see this in, uh, in Harry Potter, you see this in uh, the, the, the four books of the gospel. You know, a lot of times, Myers-Briggs, kind of these four personality types that uh, tend to be repeated throughout history and in stories and in culture. Yeah. But in the team, you know, you had uh, Hannibal, who was like the strategic thinker. You had Face, who was like the interpersonal person. You had Murdoch, who was a wild card. You had Mr. T, who just, you know, knocked down doors. And, and underneath that, our silence is value diverse skill sets. Mm. Uh, because, right, what I see a lot of startups do is they hire the visionary and they hire the executioner, say. Yeah. Um, uh, EOS does this, and then a lot of, a yeah. lot of, yeah. Philosophies have these same roles. They call them different things. But right. when it goes great, the visionary is like, here's, here's where we need to. I don't know. I, I can't get there. And the executioner is like, I can get this stuff done, but I can't necessarily see what's going to be happening in six months. Right. So they, they, lo- they love each other. It works great. Mm-hmm. When it goes badly is when the visionary says, you're just a button pusher. You're the executioner. I'm the, I'm the brilliant mind. You just push the buttons. Right. And the executioner says, I'm the one trugging through this and you're a dreamer. You're just making stuff yeah. up in your office. So, so when you have that, you yeah. see it fall apart. Um, so my very long winded way of saying that is basically if you're the kind of person that's great with a zero to 2 million, you're a cowboy, you, you break rules, you're a renegade, you get stuff done, you can drive it there. Mm-hmm. Don't assume you're going to be the one that can scale it from two to 10 or 50 or hundred million. Right. Partner with someone really early on <laughs> who has a history of efficiency and processes and can still build great cultures and, and can help scale and then work together. Yeah, uh, that that is excellent advice. The uh, the willingness that we have to have as business leaders to understand that we don't know it all and can't do it all is sometimes a real challenge. Um, but I, I agree completely. We have to have that if we really want to be able to grow the business because we have to think about it in terms of what's best for the big picture and yes. not what's best for our ego. Um, yes. I had a gentleman that worked for me for quite some time and he used to always say that, that, you know, he, he, um, um, uh, what's, what's best for my client, what's best for the company and check my ego at the door. That's the way he always nice. thought through his process. Nice. And, um, and I love that I, I, you know, after he had started working with us, I'd every once in a while, I'd be like, tell me what that is again. Like I need yeah. to get that ingrained up here because it's such good advice. Um, you know, first, what's best for my client? Because sometimes what's best for the client isn't what's best for the company. Right. And what's going to be best for the company? And at the end of the day, I have to check my ego because I love it. And and I think that that is uh, that is a tough lesson for because oftentimes as as business leaders, we have a little bit of a we have a personality. You know, there's sure. a personality that oftentimes goes along with that. And, um, and so I, I, you're spot on there. Uh, recognize the things that you are not great at. In fact, I've, I've actually, I've got to do a little presentation tomorrow. And I mentioned to someone earlier today, jokingly, because one of the people on my team is actually going to present most of it because of the audience we're speaking to. And I said, okay. I'm not good at speaking to that audience. I know that. And so I said, I think I'm just going to introduce myself as one of the first things to learn as an entrepreneur is the things you're good at and the things you're not good at. Mm-hmm. And, those, and those weaknesses, you need to surround yourself with people that are really good at that. And so today I'm going to share this. For That's this beautiful. Person. I love it. That's because awesome. it is, uh, uh, that is a critical thing that we have to be able to understand. And in that scaling piece, a lot of people want to do that on their own. One, one thing that I know um, can be a challenge, and you've had this experience, you've gone through this before, when you scale that business and then you decide, 
Um, we're at a point that um, for this business to continue or to continue to grow, it's probably not going to be with me. I mean, you mentioned you're the, you're the zero to $2 million guy. Um, that's got to be a difficult thing when you see this kind of baby that you, that you raised and then set it free. So at what, at what point do you recognize or do you realize um, it's time for me to move on? It's time for something else. Is that something that you have a team around you that sort of says, Hey, this is where we are and this is what we need. Or is that, is there sort of a personal gut feeling that you get when it's time to do that? Sure, sure. And I've, I've been blessed now. I've been through it a few times. I've worked with other companies. So now I can, I can start to see the, the warning signs. And yeah. it does seem to happen really, you know, pretty consistently, especially for service-based companies. Some around a couple million in bucks, around, a, you know, 20 or so employees, you start to see where the expertise becomes more around efficiency and scale versus just, you know, knocking down do- doors. So I, I think that's, you start to see is, my, is the growth of my organization slowing? Are right. we're, we're not winning the best places to work awards anymore? Are we having more turnover? When we have turnover in the exit interview, people leaving because they're saying like, "You have no processes." You know, are they yeah. saying all the things yeah. that it's, it's beating you over the head? And again, it took me you know many times to go through that to realize, okay, this is when I know I, there's still value I can bring in the company, just not in this particular role. So either it's time to name another executive, it's time to you know look at an exit. But I, mm-hmm. I think. When, when your trajectory is going like, you know, jagged, but still vaguely up to the right, and then it plateaus, and then, you know, the best, it's not all about money, but ultimately it's the best way to take the temperature of a business. Are you, are you growing your revenue? Are you growing your earnings? Are you having great retention? Are you attracting the best talent? When you, the first time, you, you know, you put a job posting out and you don't get the best talent applying, and you wonder, what's going on? Or the, when you go through three pitches and you lose all three and you wonder what's going on, or you look at that, you know, revenue's up, but earnings just, you can't move that earnings needle. What's What's going on? I think these are all signs that you've got a really good founder who did a good job being scrappy and seeing things and getting seed started. Now it's time to either pair that person with some, uh, you know, really good CLO type role or look at an exiter, but someone who's really good at going to take what you've built and then scale it into something really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, something else I know that you've um, had some experience in is, is investing in other companies. So as you've uh, kind of grown and had those opportunities, you um, have now taken the, been on the flip side of that table where you are looking at those businesses that are trying to grow and, um, and investing in those. And so are there certain things that you look for whenever you're in that seat? When you, um, when someone comes to you as uh, wanting an investment of some kind, are there certain things that you're looking for that others can kind of help, help them understand these are the things that you need to be doing if you decide you want to go out and look for outside investment? Yep. Absolutely. It, it always starts with the team. So I, you know, I, I think as entrepreneurs or people that want to be entrepreneurs, they say, I want to be an entrepreneur, but I just can't come up with a good product. And you know, I think that's usually a really that's probably not a person who wants to be an entrepreneur. Just, I always say, go out and talk to 10 people, ask them what they would write you a check to solve and then go make that thing like, or figure out how to make that thing. So the product yeah. I would say is, is a third, you know, there's three things that are important. The product is dead last on that list. Yeah. The first, do you have a team that is passionate, that is driven, that is smart, that is collaborative, that is gracious, that is humble. You know, all the things that make good founders. Um, do you have a good co-founder? Do you have a good compliment on the team? So, so the team is absolutely number one and the motivation of that team. Yeah. If it's that they watch a lot of Shark Tank and listen to how I built this a lot. And so they want to make a million dollars, then, you know, that's, that's probably not, not a good motivation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, most good entrepreneurs I know, it's not, they're not even necessarily always passionate about the product that they're making, but they're passionate about entrepreneurship. They're, yeah. They can't work anywhere else. They're not a good, you know, employee life, corporate life is not for them. So 
Mm-hmm. I would rather invest in someone that's really passionate about entrepreneurship mm-hmm. who decides to open a bakery than someone that's really passionate about baking mm-hmm. and doesn't care about entrepreneurship. So it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So someone that really loves, so team number one, you know, founder, especially, um, the second is the business model. So really looking at what's your unfair advantage. Are you, do you have some kind of line on a really low, uh, uh cost of goods? Do you have, that first, you know, you already got a deal in the works with Walmart or Microsoft or some, you know, big client on the hook. Right. Um, do you have some, some great efficiencies in the business. So do you have some kind of unfair advantage in the business model? Mm-hmm. Uh, would be number two. And then three is what you're actually selling. Um, but to me, you know, if you, if you nail those first two, right, you can be selling lawn chairs or furniture or pizza or, you know, data analytics. If you got the right team and the right business model, then uh, the product's less important. And yeah. I, 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 you may run into this, or at least I'm sure run into this as an investor, sometimes a, an entrepreneur, like, well, I can't meet with you until you sign an NDA and even tell you what I'm doing. And the reason I don't is we all live in the same world. So if you, if anyone that stood on a, a, a busy corner in a big city, pre Uber and Lyft, mm-hmm. watched all the cars go by and said, someone should make a business where you just have an app and you get a ride with someone else. That, that idea in itself is not like really, really hard to come by. And I talk to entrepreneurs all the time and say, I had the idea for Lyft. I had the idea for Lyft before they did it. Yeah. Uh, people tell me like, I had the idea for the iPad because there was a time we all had like these, you know, <laughs> devices and screens like, man, it'd be so much yeah. easier. Someone should make a tablet computer. Yeah. We all think of ideas about the same time. So a few years ago, you know, everyone that walked through my door had an idea around integrating medical records. And that's because medical records were electronic now, but we all have four or five doctors. So anyone with even a little bit of business sense would go to a doctor's office and say, I should make an app that brings all my medical records together. Mm-hmm. And if I signed NDAs with all those individuals and met with them all and invested in one, they'd say, Bill stole my idea. I gave him the right. idea of integrating medical records. Yeah. So that's part of the idea why the product, you know, I've, I've heard literally hundreds of pitches and I've almost never, I can't think of one of those that where the product was unique from another pitch that I heard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Almost, you know, the product ideas are, they're useful. You got to come up with a good product, but you think yeah. about, you know, Twitter was just Facebook with fewer features and mm-hmm. Airbnb. Anyone that's ever say no towels, like why don't people just rent their houses? We all think of those ideas. Right. It's not the idea that that's interesting or exciting. Yeah. Can you execute on it with a good business model? Can you surround yourself with a great team? Yeah, that's, that's really good. I had a, um, uh, a gentleman that one time said, in fact, he was a guest on the show, uh, probably a year, year and a half ago. And his comment was, he said, there's not million dollar ideas. There's million dollar execution. Yes. And that has stuck with me ever since. I love that, that, uh, that comment for that exact same reason. We've all thought of things, you know, we all think of these things that are great ideas and especially as visionaries, as, as entrepreneurs, as, you know, just, uh, it's we're problem solvers, you know? And so, um, you know, you think of the, think of solutions to these problems all the time, but, uh, unless you're the one that's willing to actually go out and solve the problem tangibly in a way that people can do something with it, it really doesn't mean a whole lot. And, um, and so now that that's really good and that's great information for people to understand, uh, as they, you know, consider a great business idea that they have out there and then thinking about what they're going to do with it to think less about the, uh, the product or service, less about the idea and more about what are the, what are the people, what are the advantages that I'm going to have that no one else is going to have to be able to actually do something with this, um, and put those things together before you decide to, to go out and look for that investment opportunity. And I think there's also a lot of value in, um, you know, bootstrapping what you can go out and get some proof that what yes. you have is something that people really, um, you know, the, the thing is, and, and Bill, I'm sure you see this a lot in the investment side. 
we have to be really careful because, um, you know, if I have a really good idea and I go to all of my friends and family, or actually, let's say I have a really bad idea and I go to all of my friends and family and I say, I've got this idea, you know, what if you could uh, do this? Most of them are going to say, yeah, man, that's really good. Yeah, you yeah. should do that. Um, and so you, you've got to make sure that you're surrounding yourself or putting some people around you that are willing to say, well, no, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Here's, here's where I don't understand that. And, um, and then the more important thing uh, to that is, it, yeah, it's a good idea. Are you willing to spend money on it? Yeah. Because if you wouldn't buy it, it's not that great of an idea. Right. And, um, and so, you know, go out and, and get some proof first before you start uh, trying to figure out what the next step is. And I think sometimes people fail to do that. You know, I, I have I tend to sit and talk to people about these business things a lot and, and they'll bring up these ideas that in and of itself are good ideas. Um, but what are you going to do with it? And right. uh, and, and making sure that you've got the right people around and the right model around you and the right passion behind it to stick with it uh, when it gets tough because it's always going to get tough before Absolutely. before you get the success. Right. Yeah, you've got to validate it. You know, until someone writes you a check, it's just a hobby. It's, and so I, I, I was remiss in saying this, but if someone came to me and looking for an investment and they, no one had written them a check, they weren't willing to put their own, you know, life savings, mortgage, credit card, if they weren't willing to put their own money into it, and no one would write them as a check. I wouldn't even take that meeting. So I would, you know, if someone thinks they have a great idea. And, and I think shows like, you know, Shark Tank and How I Build This are great. And they teach. There was a time when no one knew what the letters VC meant. And now you stop yeah. people on the screen and they understood what they understand angel investing. Right. So it's a great education. It also, you know, presents the, this idea that it's really easy to raise money. It's easy to start a business. People are dying to write you checks. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're a lot of no's when you ask for a check. You, statistically, your business will almost certainly fail. I think. Mm-hmm. About only 4% of businesses get to, you know, a million in revenue, 10 employees and profitability. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes those shows create like, oh, I just need an idea and then I'm going to get on Shark Tank and someone will write me a, a million dollar check. <laughs> yeah. That always that easy. Yeah. Not exactly how it works. Yeah. Uh, well, Bill, thank you so much. This is some great information. I know we unpacked a lot here today, but um, before we head out, how can uh, how can we learn more about you and Futurity and how can we connect if people have uh, questions or want to learn more about what you all are doing? Excellent. I would love to hear from anybody. Futurity.com is our website. So it's the word future with T-Y at the end of it. Um, you can find us there. Uh, all our links to our social channels, LinkedIn, um, everything is there. If you're in Ohio uh, or in the Columbus area, please uh, stop by. Give me a call. I'd love to meet up and talk in person. All right. Well, Bill, thank you so much. I appreciate your time today. appreciate you sharing all this uh, great information. And uh, we'll, we'll keep up and see how things are going and look forward to, to seeing the success that Futurity will ultimately find as well. Thank you so much, Kyle. I really enjoyed being on today. Thanks for joining us on the Employer Blueprint Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show to receive the latest episodes. For more information on how Employer Blueprint can help build great teams in your business, visit EmployerBlueprint.com. Or to inquire about Kyle speaking at your next event, visit KyleGorman.com. And until next time, make it a great day.